but there's a lot more people that just go out to enjoy the outdoors and camp and hike and take pictures and that don't fish or hunt. And so when somebody says they like to do that, and I say, that's good, keep doing it because <laughs> it takes off from the hunting and fishing pressure for me. <laughs> so there's a little bit of self-interest in there. A little bit. My dad loves the outdoors, especially hunting and fishing. He's 84 years old now, which means he's got a lifetime of great stories to tell. So that's what this show is. I'm Eldon Nelson, and this is Hunting and Fishing Stories with my dad, Gene. I mean, you've been fishing as well as hunting for more than seven decades. What's changed in those decades? Well... I think on the hunting, there's gotten to be more hunters out. and uh, But I think the Division of Wildlife, at least here in Colorado, has done a good job managing the fish population as well as the uh, deer and the elk population. Hmm. So that's changed a little bit. But uh, hunting pressure has put a lot of pressure on the big game animals. Sometimes they're hard to find. And so... Uh, that's what I've noticed more recently. But uh, the fishing is, and then also there's a disease that was introduced into the Gunnison River, the uh, whirling disease, they call it, here. Oh, it's been a few years now, probably at least 10 years. And it's particularly damaging to the uh, rainbow trout population. Mm. And uh, it's originally from Europe. So the brown trout are originally from Europe, too. And the brown trout that have been selected out over centuries of time, I guess, even with that organism, are resistant. They don't, they don't uh, suffer from the whirling disease. But the rainbow trout is a North American fish, and they don't, they're really susceptible to it. Yeah. And so that's, that's been a big change. The rainbow trout population has dropped. And the German brown population has risen. So are there more people fishing as well as the the reduction in the population of, of rainbows as well? Well, yeah, there's probably more people with more leisure time and, hmm. and uh, um, probably a more interest in the outdoors. But there's a lot more people that just go out to enjoy the outdoors and camp and hike and take pictures and that don't fish or hunt. And so when somebody says they like to do that, and I say, that's good, keep doing it, because <laughs> it takes off from the hunting and fishing pressure for me. <laughs> so there's a little bit of self-interest in there. A little bit. But, but some good, good advice there as well. The, um, if you had to choose between fishing and hunting, which, is your, which do you like more and why? Or... Impossible choice. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of a hard question to ask. Mm -hmm. I love the hunting when I see my arrow flying where it ought to be. Like my friend Jerry Woodland says, the elk ain't dying if the arrows ain't flying. (laughs) And so that's always really gratifying, that challenge to make a a good hit with an arrow and find the animal. But then 
year-round, you can only do that a few days or weeks in the sun, in right. the fall. But here in Colorado, the fishing season, well, most western states, fishing season's open year-round. And on a cold January day that everybody is hunkering down inside the Gunnison River against some of the cliffs where the sun's shining, is pretty nice and done some nice trout fishing and catching and on a January day. So that's good too. A, a person who features heavily in your hunting is your friend, Jerry Woodland. Tell me a little bit, how, how did you meet Jerry? And I mean, you two have uh, been hunting together for how long? Uh, 60 years. <laughs> 60 years. I met Jerry when I lived in Loveland, Colorado, and he was an engineer for Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody told me that there's a new guy moved into town that thinks he's the best fisherman, but I, but I think you got him beat. And that was Jerry. And so we really fished. so through fishing. I mean, that 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 surprises me because I I think of you two as hunting together all the time, but not not as much fishing. Well. Mostly he was a hunter, mm. a bow hunter, but uh, he liked to fish too. And I, but uh, it's one of those times where he had invited me in the fall of the year from Loveland to drive over to his dad's farm in Richmond, Utah, to go pheasant hunting in the fall. And so on the way over, we decided to stop at the Green River and fish for a while and then go on to Utah. And so... Uh, it was those days, too, where you could use cheese. But he decided that he was a purest fly fisherman. And I didn't see him for a while. And I finally saw him down the river, and I walked down to where he was. And he said, well, I hadn't really caught anything. <laughs> so I threw out in the same hole where he was fishing and caught four or five right in a row. <laughs> and he says to this day that was the day that he broke— that I broke him down into using cheese instead of flies. <laughs> the evidence doesn't lie. <laughs> it's, that's funny. So, so we've hunted uh, together, uh, and even though I moved away different places, and he stayed in Loveland, mm -hmm. and, uh, but there's some places here in Colorado where we'd get together every fall to go bow hunting. And... Uh, he started out his bow hunting career hunting down around Salina, Richfield area. So uh, we'd meet his dad over there at our the camping spot and between Richfield and Salina. And then we'd drive from here in Colorado to there and bow hunt for deer for a week. And then after that, we'd go elk hunting somewhere around here. Mm -hmm. So I just kept that up. He was a good friend and knew what to count on. and. He wasn't moody and he was a good sportsman. And he, and he obeyed the law most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. One of the favorite I stories I exceptions. One of the favorite stories I have of remembrance of Jerry is that we were deer hunting over around Salina up in the mountains and we'd notice a, a Jeep would drive by and there'd be a guy sitting on the hood and there was a guy sitting on the tailgate, all with their bows and arrows. And we knew they were road hunting. Mm -hmm. And it's illegal in Utah to road hunt. You just can't drive up and down the road. And, and road hunting is just driving up and down and shooting yeah, from your vehicle? Right. You okay. just 
you just sit on the hood with your bow and on the tailgate, or sometimes they just put a lawn chair in the back of the pickup. And <laughs> anyway, they would see them each day, and we told them that they couldn't do that, and they didn't. And they were from back east somewhere. And so one day we were just getting ready to go out hunting. I'm going to drive a little distance to the, a different spot along the old logging road. And these guys had just driven by. And I don't know what possessed Jerry, but he took off after them in his Chevrolet blazer with the lights on. Mm-hmm. And and they sped up. And he stayed right behind them, chasing them. And I thought, how's this going to end? <laughs> how's this going? What's he going to do when they stop? Because they were bigger and there was more of them. <laughs> right. And they finally pulled over. And he pulled up right behind them and wrote down their license number. And they came back and they claimed they didn't know that it was illegal to road hunt like they were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they went their way. And sometime after that, and they didn't they didn't say anything or get antagonistic at all other than they were wondering what we were doing. We didn't have any authority to do that. And so a couple of days later, they drove by our camp while we were there, and they stopped. And they came in, they said, we got a deer, but we want you to know that we were out hiking. We, we didn't hunt from the road. And we, we got it legally and tagged it legally, and we're taking it home legally. And so they thanked us for telling them they couldn't road hunt. Huh. That ended a lot better than it could have. <laughs> you, no. got, you got a bunch of guys with guns and... <laughs> no, they all had bows. Oh, bows. Yeah. Okay. Well... Even so. <laughs> anyway, that's, but I was riding along thinking, what, what's he got? What's Jerry got in mind when, when these guys pull over? Because there's more of them and they're bigger and younger. But uh, didn't bother him. Pulled up right behind their outfit and wrote their license plate number down. And Well, it, and I, I, see, I see why, how that would offend bow hunters in particular. It's your... You're out there and you've made a decision that you are going to go hunting, I guess, the hard way. And you're not using a rifle. You're having to get closer. And then for someone to essentially short circuit that. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That that sort of that offends the whole the whole purpose uh, and the whole point of bow hunting and uh, and doing it this way. Right. Yeah. That and the fact that it's illegal to do. Yeah. It's written in the Utah code that you can't road hunt. You got to be so many feet off the uh, a main road. You can't shoot across the road, and it's it's illegal to road hunt. And everybody knew yeah. what road hunting was. Yeah. Well, you stopped him at least for the time being. Yeah. So, what uh, other favorite Jerry stories? I mean, you, I think you got a million of them. I th- I think. The fact that uh, when either of us got something, either a deer or an elk, Mm -hmm. the other one would pitch in and help you get it out, even though it might take a day or two off from your hunt. Right. And so Jerry was always good about doing that. And uh, uh, he was a good sportsman, a good shot, and he was committed to it. And uh, probably one of the better stories that I wasn't there, but... Years ago, they, uh, there was a ranch up in Wyoming that would sponsor a national bow hunt. Mm-hmm. I think it was on private land. 
And Jerry was selected from the state of Colorado to be the representative from Colorado to go on this national bow hunt for mule deer. Well, they didn't see much. And uh, on one of the last days, they were riding along in the uh, rancher's pickup truck. And Jerry saw a deer standing from the road down the hill a ways. So he told the driver, just keep driving and let me stand out. And he stood out, walked off the road, and arrowed the deer and got it. <laughs> and the word was, I think he knows about road hunting. <laughs> but he's the only one that got a deer, and it was legal. But uh, So you two have been hunting together dozens of times. Did you keep score? Who Who is more likely to come home with a, a deer or an elk, you or him? Who's the better shot? Well, I think it's about— or The better e hunter. I think it's about equal. We— we both hunted about the same way to spot and stalk and go quiet. And there are a lot of hunters these days find a stand and sit and wait and see if elk or deer will come past you. Mm -hmm. But uh, we found it more effective just to go our different ways. And a lot of times we'd end up in the same place. And, hmm. and uh, it was amazing that as many hundreds of miles, square miles of <laughs> trees and forest out there would end up seeing each other in the same place but uh, well lots of the same experience it would uh, a same sense of terrain and where where things are would sort of lead but i don't think the same place we ever did add it up to who had gotten the most i think just the last year or two when i've talked to jerry he said i think you got more elk than i did hmm. and i i don't know that <laughs> i he probably knows exactly how many he's got but uh, I just took his word for it. Let it go. <laughs> well, the, it sounds like he's kept score, and and that he's willing to uh, to say that you were the one who who got the most. So you got more elk. Does that is? What, did he also say that maybe he got more deer? Is, no, I think that wasn't part of it. I think Jerry got more deer. He huh. he spent more time early days of archery hunting with his dad. Mm down in southern, well, central Utah, Salina area. And those were the days when you'd buy a Utah big game license, and that gave you uh, permission to hunt with a rifle and with a bow. But if you got your deer with a, with a bow early in the season, then you could also fill your rifle license at the same time. So you could go hunt, and maybe get two deer at a time. And you know, during those days, there was really lots of deer. And uh, then the D Division of Wildlife in Utah decided that uh, the deer somehow caught some disease and the population really plummeted. And I don't know if it's ever come back, but uh, blue tongue disease or something of that sort. A disease that was common, I think, in livestock out in the mountains, but it I never did find out for sure. We didn't. They The divisions thought it was hunting pressure, so they cut it back to where you could only shoot a buck if it was at least a three-point or better, and no does, and, and the population still didn't rebound that much, as far as we knew. So we stopped going to Utah. Mm -hmm. 
There are plenty of deer most every day in my front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can tell you this because they eat the they eat the bottom of the there are the leaves and branches of the trees up to as as high as they can eat. So feel free to come on over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know some communities, and I don't know so much in the West, but there are some communities in the country that have an urban deer hunt because the deer populations in and around the town are so high that they're feeding on people's bushes, trees, plants, garden. Mm-hmm. So they have an urban deer hunt. But uh, Any interest in doing that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think what they count on is you shooting a deer and having it die right away, not run into the neighborhood school and die in the playground. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Doesn't sound very good to me. Because <laughs> something like that almost happened when we lived in Alamosa in the Great Sand Dunes National Park, mm-hmm. National Monument. On the upper boundary is National Forest, so you could bow hunt up there. And so we'd drive through the sand dunes and go past the boundary and up on the National Forest. But one day coming back out, a deer come running along the road, and we stopped and try to trace it a little ways, and it was a fairly nice buck. They got an arrow in it, and it ran right down into the campground and died. And (laughs) that was really tricky of driving down into the campground because when we shot at it, it was legally in Mm -hmm. National Forest. It wasn't on the the National Monument anymore. And uh, to get it up and put it in the pickup and drive up on the National Park again and... uh, clean it out. So I thought, not a good idea to hunt this close to the border. And I I thought that would be the same way if you were had an urban hunt going on that uh, not a good idea. I thought this story was going to end with this buck dying in a campground with a bunch of little kids there frying or uh, uh, cooking s'mores. So <laughs> I'm glad this story didn't end that now way. We, no, we didn't pay much attention to the people that they could see it die. Because a lot of times with an arrow, you never knock them off their feet like with a rifle. Right. With a bow, with an arrow, uh, even through the heart and the lungs, they can still run a distance. Sure. And, and then collapse and they're dead. But uh, our goal was to hurry and get it in the truck and get out of there and get it back up away from all these campers. Even though... I don't know what the game warden or the the uh, National Park Service would have done, but we we didn't break any laws. Right. So my guess is they would have understood. Probably. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for my dad, you can email me at eldennelson at gmail.com. That's E-L-D-E-N-N-E-L-S-O-N at gmail.com. I'll have more stories soon. Thanks for listening to... Hunting and Fishing Stories with my dad, Gene.